0: Part One, Chapter Thirteen of The Secret City. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Secret City by Hugh Walpole. Part One, Chapter Thirteen. I stared at him. I could not take my eyes away. I instantly forgot everyone else, the room, the tree, the lights. With a force, with a poignancy and pathos and brutality that were more cruel than I could have believed possible, that other world came back to me. Ah, I could see now that all these months I had been running away from this very thing, seeking to pretend that it did not exist, that it had never existed. All in vain, utterly in vain i saw semyonov as i had just seen him sitting on his horse outside the shining white house at o then semyonov operating in a stinking room under a red light his arms bathed in blood then semyonov and trenchard then semyonov speaking to marie ivanovna her eyes searching his face then that day when I woke from my dream in the orchard to find his eyes staring at me through the bright green trees, and afterwards when we went in to look at her dead, then worst of all that ride back to the stab with my hand on his thick throbbing arm, Semyonov in the forest, working, sneering, hating us, despising us, carrying his tragedy in his eyes, and defying us to care. Semyonov, that last time of all, vanishing into the darkness with his nothing, that lingering echo of a defiant, desperate soul that had stayed with me against my bidding ever since I had heard it. What a fool had I been to know these people! I had felt from the first to what it must lead— and i must have avoided it and i would not i looked at him i faced him i smiled he was the same as he had been a little stouter perhaps his pale hair and square-cut beard looking as though it had been carved from some pale honey-coloured wood the thick stolidity of his long body and short legs the squareness of his head the coldness of his eyes and the violent red of his lips All were just as they had been, the same man, save that now he was in civilian clothes, in a black suit with a black bow-tie. There was a smile on his lips, that same smile, half sneer, half friendliness, that I knew so well. His eyes were veiled. He was, I believe, as violently surprised to see me as I had been to see him, but he held himself in complete control. He said... "'Why, Durward, Ivan Andreevich!' Then he greeted the others. I was able now to notice the general effect of his arrival. It was as though a cold wind had suddenly burst through the windows, blown out all the candles upon the tree, and plunged the place into darkness. Those who did not know him felt that, with his entrance, the gaiety was gone. Markovitch's face was pale, He was looking at Vera, who, for an instant, had stood quite silently staring at her uncle, then, recovering herself, moved forward. Why, Uncle Alexei, she cried, holding out her hand, you're too late for the tree. Why didn't you tell us? Then you could have come to dinner. And now it is all over. Why didn't you tell us? He took her hand and very solemnly bent down and kissed it. I didn't know myself, dear Vera Mikhailovna. I only arrived in Petrograd yesterday, and then in my house everything was wrong, and I've been busy all day. But I felt that I must run in and give you the greetings of the season. Ah, Nicholas, how are you? And you, Ivan? I telephoned to you. Nina, my dear, and so on. He went round and shook hands with them all. He was introduced to Bowen and Lawrence. He was very congenial, praising the tree, laughing, shouting in the ears of the great aunt. But no one responded. As so frequently happens in Russia, the atmosphere was suddenly changed. No one had anything to say. The candles on the tree were blown out. Of course, the evening was not nearly ended. There would be tea and games, perhaps, at any rate everyone would sit and sit until three or four, if for no other reason, simply because it demanded too much energy to rise and make farewells, but the spirit of the party was utterly dead. The Samovar hissed at the end of the table. Vera Mikhailovna sat there making tea for everyone. Semyonov, I should now, in the heart of his relations, have thought of him as Alexey Petrovitch. But so long had he been Semyonov to me that Semyonov he must remain, was next to her, and I saw that he took trouble, talking to her, smiling, his stiff, strong white fingers now and then stroking his thick beard, his red lips parting a little, then closing so firmly that it seemed they would never open again. I noticed that his eyes often wandered towards me. He was uneasy about my presence there, I thought, and that disturbed me. I felt as I looked at him the same confusion as I had always felt. I did not hate him. His strength of character, his fearlessness, these things in a country famous for neither quality, I was driven to admire and to respect, and I could not hate what I admired. And yet my fear gathered and gathered in volume as I watched him. What would he do with these people? What plans had he? What purpose? What secret selfish ambitions was he out now to secure? Markovitch was silent, drinking his tea, watching his wife, watching us all with his nervous, frowning expression. I rose to go, and then, when I had said farewell to everyone and went towards the door semyonov joined me well ivan Andreevich he said so we have not finished with one another yet he looked at me with his steady unswerving eyes he smiled i also smiled as i found my coat and hat in the little hall sasha helped me into my shuba he stood his lips a little apart watching me what have you been doing all this time he asked me I've been ill, I answered. Not bad, I hope. No, not bad, but enough to keep me very idle. As much of an optimist as ever. Was I an optimist? Why, surely, a charming one. Do you love Russia as truly as ever? I laughed, my hand on the door. That's my affair, Alexey Petrovitch. I answered. Certainly, he said, smiling. You're looking older, you know. You too, I said. "'Yes, perhaps. Would I still think you sentimental, do you suppose?' "'It is of no importance, Alexei Petrovitch. I said. "'I'm sure you have other better things to do. Are you remaining in Petrograd?' He looked at me then very seriously, his eyes staring straight into mine. "'I hope so. You will work at your practice?' "'Perhaps,' he nodded to me. "'Strange to find you here,' he said." We shall meet again. Good night. He closed the door behind me. End of Part 1 Chapter 13